0: Let's take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 7, continuing through the book of, of Luke. Last week we looked at the centurion, and this week we're going to look at a widow and her son. Um, you might put these under two, two sad houses, is how you might think about it in an outline. Last week we saw this sad house with the, the servant um, who was sick, and this week we're going to see an even more desperate situation, and what Jesus does as he comes to this home. Um, It's interesting, you know, we live in, I guess you might call it the YouTube generation, could we say that? Um, Everything's got to be pretty quick, right? If I see a YouTube video and it's four minutes long, that's a little bit too much time (laughs) for me to invest in it. You know, we're always... Flipping the channel, the commercial comes on, we're looking for something else, I'm not going to sit here and watch this, or we, now we can fast forward through them, right? I don't have that capability, so, um, I have to go somewhere else and look for (laughs) entertainment, but, but we always want something quick and, and to be entertained fast, and so it's a strange thing to say, we're going to go to Luke chapter 7 and just look at five verses and, and think on this, six verses I should say, um. And just meditate on it, because I think when we come to God's Word, especially on these Sunday mornings, it's, it's less like a YouTube video, and it's it's not like watching television. It's more like, say, going to an art gallery. You know, when you go to an art gallery, you don't just kind of see how fast you can get through the displays. You know, very often you stop, and you and you look at a picture for a while, and you, you get up close, and you stand far back, and you want to see all the, the nuances in this picture, all the beauty of it that the artist has has put into it and, and I really feel that with this passage in particular that just there's so much beauty if we would just if we're just going to pause and we're going to linger and we're going to stare at this for a while and to see all the different hues that come out of it and I, I think that if we do that well and, and by the power of God's spirit then then it will become a beautiful masterpiece that shows us the compassion and the power of Jesus so those are kind of the two twin things we're going to talk about this morning the compassion and the power of jesus but let's jump right into this passage and look at at luke 7 verses 11 through 17 it says soon afterward he meaning jesus went to a town called nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him and he drew near to the gate as he drew near to the gate of the town behold a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, or the, the coffin we might say, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. What a great story to think on this morning, a true story. It says that uh, this happens soon afterwards. So not long after this interaction that he had with the centurion that we looked at last week uh, where he went and he didn't even go to the house, but he just healed the centurion's servant. Not long after that interaction, he heads towards this small town called Nain. Uh, we don't know much about the town of Nain. It was in Galilee. It's a small town. And in fact, this is the only place in Scripture that it is mentioned. It's not mentioned anywhere else. In fact, this story here, is only mentioned in the book of Luke. It's not in Matthew, Mark, or John. It's only here in Luke. And whenever that happens, my imagination gets rolling. Because you remember back in the beginning of Luke that he says he's gone and he's, he's researched this book that he wants to write. He's put it together and, and he's found eyewitnesses. And so I just imagine where did he get this story from? And I start to wonder, you know, was it maybe the widow was still alive? And he actually talked to her about this. Or maybe maybe even the, the young man himself who had been raised from the dead, that he talked to him and had this conversation. Or maybe one of the guys that was, that was carrying the dead man, he said, Listen, Luke, I heard you're, you're compiling this thing about Jesus, and you got to put this story in there. He just landed in Nain somehow, or someone from Nain was where Luke was, and the, the story came about. However Luke heard about it, though, it's this wonderful picture of Jesus' power and Jesus' compassion. It says there, you get the the scene, it says his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So Jesus is sort of leading the way towards Nain, probably down a dirt road, and behind him are his disciples, and behind the disciples is just a great crowd, it says. A big crowd following Jesus, and they're heading to this little town called Nain, and they're heading towards the gate of the city. And unbeknownst to them, as their crowd is coming to the city, there is actually another crowd. That's coming out of the city. They're both heading to the same gate. This crowd, though, that's coming out of the city is much different than the one that's being led by Jesus. Because it's not being led by Jesus. It's being led by a woman whose son has died. The son had probably died maybe even earlier that day or, or just the day before. It would have been something where they would have quickly um, buried the son both because they didn't want to um, to to have to deal with the ceremonial uncleanness these are Jewish people and that would be something that they needed to deal with quickly and so um, they're heading out of the the city later in the story it tells us that this was a young man it doesn't say exactly how old he is Jesus calls him young man and we can imagine Jesus was in his 30s so I would think that he's probably less Than 30 could be a teenager, could be in his in his 20s. He's a a young man, though. Could be even younger than that. Um, And that this young man has died. You just think about that. It's such a tragedy when youth die, isn't it? You know, sometimes we get removed from these stories, but this is a young man who has has died. He's been has not lived his life fully, Um, and it's it's so hard to see that. Even harder for for a parent to watch a child die so we just start to enter into this this woman's situation how hard that this is for her and, and, and we feel that that grief but but it's not just that that she's lost this son but what does it the text say about her the focus is not really on the young man the focus is on this woman it says in verse 12 as he drew near the gate of the town behold a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother this is this is her only son she has no other children her only son, and she was a widow. She's not walking with her husband, because her husband has died as well. We don't even know how long ago this has been, but it couldn't have been that long. It's, And her husband is dead as well. So this woman is, is grieving the loss of her son, and she has no husband to stand with her. And now she's actually thrown into a very difficult situation in, in this time period, in this it, there was no one to care for her. Her son would have been the main caregiver for her at that time, and now her son is gone and her husband is gone. What is she going to do? It's a desperate situation. And she knows it, and actually everyone else knows it too. It says there um, a considerable crowd from the town was with her. You imagine them getting word. Did you hear about So's son? He died. You know, the, she's a widow already, and now her son has passed away. And and everyone in the town shows up to be there for this funeral, to walk out uh, with her, to come and offer support. You know, but I imagine this woman, even though she's surrounded by people, I, I just imagine that that she feels very alone, that that no one really understands exactly what's going on, how difficult this is for her. But this large procession is, is heading outside the city limits to bury this young man. They're they're grieving as they go. There would have been people um, the mourners that were probably playing flutes or cymbals, very mournful situation, and they're all heading out and the body is is being carried. It's not a closed casket, but you might imagine a, a cot or a board of, of sorts. Maybe he's wrapped for burial, maybe not, but the, the mourners are, are carrying him out and the woman is leading the procession. Surrounded by people, but but feeling very alone, I'm sure. Maybe you've been there yourself. You know what that is. Everyone is around you, but you feel like no one understands exactly what's going on. They're offering support. You're thankful for that, but you feel alone. And in the story, these, these two masses of people meet at the city gate. So you think about the crowd following Jesus, and they're probably filled with joy. I mean, they're with Jesus. They're they're probably excited. We're heading to Nain. Something awesome is going to happen. It's going to be great. We're with Jesus, and he's doing all these miracles. Maybe he's going to teach something awesome. And they're excited. And then this other crowd is is coming out, and they're filled with, with sorrow. You know, and they have that situation where they both come to the city gate at the same time. You know, you've had that circumstance where you're walking down a hallway, and you're both trying to go the same way. And there's these two very different crowds collide right there. What's going to happen in this moment? And it says at the front of the pack there is is Jesus. And he sees the whole scene, and whether it's just simply observing the woman and, and seeing what's going on, or maybe this supernatural knowledge, Jesus knows what's in the hearts of all people. He knows what's going on. He enters in, to this compassion. And what does the text say? Verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He had compassion on her. In the midst of this situation of deep sorrow and hopelessness, Jesus responds with compassion. I think it, Let's just think about that thought. Jesus responds with compassion. The, the way we might say it is that Jesus' heart goes out to her. If you, you know that phrase. His heart went out to her. He, it, 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 this word, it refers to your, your deepest parts to being moved down even into your gut. Maybe you've felt that where you've been filled with emotion and it's almost like you're sick to your stomach. You feel it in, in, your, in your very inner being, deep agony, deep emotion. And this is how Jesus feels when he interacts with this woman and he sees her preparing to bury her son. Jesus is often moved with compassion. If you look through the Gospels, you'll see this, that he's moved with compassion or he's filled with pity, it will say. In Matthew 14, right before he's feeding the 5,000, Jesus goes to spend some time alone. But it says that when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And what is his response? What's Jesus doing? He's going to be alone and the crowd follows him. And his response, even though he needed this time of rest, time to be alone with the Father, it says he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Matthew 9 says that Jesus looked at the crowd, and it says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on the people. Before the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark 8, it says that Jesus calls his disciples to himself, and he says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. He says compassion for these people because they're hungry. In Mark's account of the healing of the leper, we saw that earlier in Luke, it, it says that when the leper requested to be healed, Jesus, it says, moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And then there's two blind men in Matthew 20 and they say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd keeps telling them, be quiet. But the text says, Jesus in pity, full of compassion, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. I think it's interesting you look at these situations. When is Jesus moved to compassion? Or we should say, Who is Jesus moved to compassion for? It's it's for the sick, it's for the poor, it's for the needy, for the hungry, for the blind, for the outcasts, for the widows. So it's moved with compassion for the For this widow here, when Jesus crosses paths with people who are in deep need, his heart is filled with compassion. It is filled with pity. His heart goes out to those who are in need. He enters into their suffering. And I think maybe this is the encouragement that you need this morning. This This is the encouragement that you might feel in deep need. You might be like this woman in sorrow, surrounded by people, but you just don't think anyone knows what's going on. You feel hungry. You feel helpless. Jesus is not unmoved by that. Jesus is not standing aloof and saying, well, yeah, that's going on in their lives because of this, that, or the other. Jesus is not separated from that. He enters into the situation that you're in. And what does he feel? Compassion. He feels pity. He is moved in his deep, in his heart, to understand that, to enter into your situation. And whether you're in it now or you're in it later, the encouragement is that Jesus is moved with compassion for those that are in need. And we're all in need. We're all in need every day, and sometimes we're in deeper need than others. But when we are in those situations, just this, what a wonderful encouragement. Jesus is not separated from it; He enters into it. He's moved with compassion. I think it's interesting to note, in the previous story that we read, you remember Jesus marvels at the centurion's humble faith. And here, Jesus is moved, not by this woman's faith. What's he moved by? He's moved by her need. He he is moved deeply by the great need that she has. And you remember the centurion, what happened with the centurion. He sent two delegations. He sent the Jews first, then he sent his friends later to go and to find Jesus and to bring him to deal with the situation. This widow wasn't looking for Jesus. She was heading out of the town with no thought of anything positive happening. When she left her home with her son dead, she had no thought of that son ever living again. She was not looking for Jesus. I think sometimes in deep sorrow we get into that place. Maybe it's a you might imagine a pit. You fall down in this pit and you're not you're not looking for Jesus. The the sorrow is surrounding you and he he's he's not even at the forefront of your mind. To say, I need to go to Jesus because Jesus cares for me. What a wonderful thing that even when we're not looking for him, he comes and he finds us. This isn't an accident, is it? That they both meet at the gate? No. I mean, Jesus never did anything accidentally. Neither does God. And there are moments when when we are not looking for Christ, but he comes and he meets us. And he, he comes to us in compassion. Even when we don't send for him, when we don't even pray, he shows up. And sometimes in our deepest need, it's so difficult to call out to Jesus. And then out of nowhere, Jesus meets us at the city gate. Maybe, and it doesn't show up. I'm not saying that Jesus shows up at your front door. But but how does he show up? In the midst of your sorrow, a friend who really truly does understand calls and has compassion and shares God's word with you, shares truth with you, or, or praise with you. That's that's the beauty of community. That's what this church is in part meant to be—to be a representation of who Jesus is. Maybe a just a song comes on the radio. We, we've all had that happen—a song that you've never listened to before, and yet it, it fills you, and you understand a little bit more about who God is. A stranger comes and helps you, or you know, this is the funniest to me. Sometimes our kids or our child will say something, and it just wow. That was a word from God to me in this moment. That's exactly what I needed to hear from an unexpected place, from a place I wasn't even looking for, and God shows up. You weren't seeking him, but he comes to you. You know, it's funny, last Sunday evening, I felt like we had one of these moments that that Jesus sort of just showed up in our parking lot. The the service was over, and we were all leaving. We were exiting, um, and... um, Ken and Emily brought Nanailulu by. They had been out doing some things, and, and she was in the parking lot. Uh, and we just had this, what I might call, a, a holy moment in the parking lot where we were able to gather on Nanai and to pray for her. And, and Kelly was there with us. He, he showed up and, and had Nanailulu pray for his hand that he had hurt. And it was just this moment where we weren't really looking for Jesus. The service was over. I mean, we'd already prayed, right? Everything was done. We'd fellowship. And then as we went out, that that. God gave us exactly what it was—an encouragement to me as a pastor. It was an encouragement to—I think it was an encouragement to everyone that was there just to see God move in this moment. Sometimes when we're not looking for Him, Jesus finds us and He ministers to us. What an encouragement that is! But but don't stop there. I want I wanted to give that encouragement that Jesus has compassion for us in our need. But coupled with that, if we are followers of Jesus and this reveals the heart of Jesus, then it teaches us how we are to respond to people that when we see people in deep sorrow and in deep need when we see people that are hungry and that are hurting when we see widows when we see those that are in despair that our heart is the same as jesus that you know the disciples were there they get this front row seat to the compassion And the love and the pity of Jesus. And they need to learn that lesson. And we have the same thing. And we need to see this compassion. I think that sometimes in our culture, we get so inundated with all of the terrible things that are happening in the world that we lose our compassion. We get callous to things. I want to encourage you, if you watch the news all the time, don't do that. (laughs) I I think there's nothing like the news to make you callous because there are so many needs in the world. And we can't enter into all of those needs. I don't watch the news. I don't want to enter into half of that stuff. There's enough problems with the people that I know. Let alone all of these other things that are, that are put across in front of my eyes. Now, there's probably some nuance to that, but that's just sort of a big blanket statement. But, but when, when we are faced with real life situations, we need to be moved with compassion. Just think about this. To whom does your heart go out to in this same way? Who are you filled with compassion for? Who should you be filled with compassion for that you find yourself callous to? Who would Jesus be moved with compassion for that you are not? I think we need to stop and ask ourselves this question. And I think specifically here I would just say Jesus is moved with compassion for a widow. Jesus is so often telling us that what pure and undefiled religion is to care for widows and orphans in their distress, do you know a widow that maybe you've just forgotten how difficult that might be and that you can enter into that situation and see the compassion, whether it's writing a card or, or paying a visit, a visit to someone who has lost their husband, who is in deep need, that is a powerful thing. Who are you filled with compassion for? So in the midst of this hopeless situation, Jesus responds with compassion. But is that it? Is that all that Jesus can do? Is just feel compassion for this woman and care for her? Is that it? No. Notice that he doesn't just respond with compassion, but next he responds with power. Jesus responds with power. Jesus comes to the widow. It's it's strange. He, you can imagine him looking into her Tear-filled eyes. What does he say? He says, do not weep. Do not weep. Now, if Jesus can't do anything, that's an extremely cruel thing to say, isn't it? This woman who has lost her son, who is a widow, and he says, don't weep? Don't weep? What are you talking about? I, I wonder what her response was. Maybe it was anger. Maybe it was just flat-out confusion. Maybe God got filled her with hope in that moment. Maybe this man can't do something. He comes to her situation, he walks, it says, towards the, the beer, towards the, the cot, this place where he was, and he comes up and he, he touches it. Can you see this? These guys are carrying this, this dead man, and he, he touches where he is sitting, laying down, dead. Remember how he touched the leopard? Remember that? He made himself unclean. Same thing here. He becomes unclean, he touches a dead body. Comes unclean to, to do something amazing here. And the crowd following him stops, and the crowd following the widow stops, everyone stops. <laughs> and there's sort of this, this moment. What is going to happen? Everyone is quiet, the flute players have stopped, the cymbals have stopped, it's silent. And then Jesus says, Jesus speaks, not, not to his followers, and not to the widow. Who's he talked to? He talks to the dead man. This guy up on the cot. He talks to him. He speaks to him. And what does he say? Young man, I say to you, arise. And this man who had been dead sat up. And he began to speak. Very nice. We don't know what he says. (laughs) It doesn't tell us what he says. Jesus speaks to the dead man. And he rises. I believe this actually happened. I believe this is real. You know, I saw David Copperfield when I was a kid. One of the coolest experiences of my life. I can still remember it. He got cut in half. He flew over the audience. He disappeared from the stage and landed in the middle of the audience. He did all these amazing things. But what is David Copperfield? He's an illusionist. He creates illusions. This is not an illusion. There's no tricks going on here. He raised this man from the dead. I, I imagine what it is is that Jesus reaches forward, if you can imagine, into the power of His resurrection and He pulls it back into this present situation and He raises this man from the dead. The power that He has to call forth life out of death. Isn't that amazing? But what's more amazing actually, Because remember, think about this. All of the miracles of Jesus are pointing towards something. They're pointing towards ultimately what Christ is going to do. That he is going to come and he is going to, that that he keeps the law perfectly. That he dies on the cross, pays the penalty for sin, and then he himself rises from the dead. Why? So that we can have new life. So what does this point to? It points to the fact that we are this dead man. We are this man. We are Helpless and hopeless and dead in our sins. And the only hope that we have is if Jesus comes and says, arise. And how does that happen? Could this man do anything? Did he have good works to show Jesus? No, he's dead. He has nothing that he can do in this moment. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. The only hope that we have is that Jesus would show us mercy, that Jesus would raise us from the dead, that we who are dead in our sins would confess those sins and come to him in faith, that he will raise us from the dead and give us new life. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? But notice again, that I, the emphasis is on the widow, isn't it? The emphasis is not really at all on the young man, because I love this phrase at the end. It says, the dead man, verse 15, sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. <laughs> because that's what she needed. In that moment he's filled with compassion. She knows exactly what she needs and he is able to give her exactly what she needs. And the comfort comes from this resurrected man. Uh, after we study this this afternoon, go back to First Kings 17 and read that again. The parallels are uh, amazing. But Isn't that interesting that that Jesus responds with power and the only hope that she has for her life is the resurrection power of Christ? I think that's interesting that the hope that we even have for others is the resurrection power of Christ. Does that make sense? So that, that what's her hope for her son? Her hope for her son is found in the fact that Christ raised him from the dead, That the resurrection that he has. And the hope that we have for our loved ones is, can only be found in the resurrection that will come. That, that we have hope that if our loved ones die, we don't grieve. We weep, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because one day, all will be resurrected. And those who have faith in Christ will go to be with Him. So Jesus responds with compassion. Jesus responds with power, and it's a power that we all need. And then look how the crowd responds. The crowd responds with, with worship. It says in verse 16, fear seizes them all. You might say all. They are filled with awe, and they glorify God, saying. They don't really know what to say. But they say, a great prophet has arisen among us. Uh, I think they're harkening back to Elijah, saying, this is just like Elijah. This is an amazing prophet. And then what? God has visited his people. God has visited his people. I don't think they fully understood what they were saying, that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And that God truly had visited his people. He was there in their midst. That was God there healing this man. Who else could it be? Then it says this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Hmm. Of course it would, right? If you saw a dead man rise from the dead, the account spreads through the whole surrounding country. And this is our response in part, is to see the compassion and the power of Jesus. And how do we respond? We worship. We say, who is this man? Who is Jesus that has power over death? Who is Jesus that is filled with compassion for me and for all people? That his heart goes out to this dear woman. What a wonderful picture of the compassion and the power of Jesus. And it's one that should cause our hearts to respond in worship. I think the other beautiful thing is that it looks forward to a day when this then when this will come to full bloom. Um, I, I'm thinking of the fact that one day there will no longer be any widows. Uh, one day there will no longer be any death. One day there will be a time when Jesus returns and death is cast into the lake of fire, and hell and Satan are cast away, and we are with him. Forever, there is no more death. There is a day coming when that will be true. There will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. What a beautiful thing that we have to look for, that the resurrection power of Jesus comes in this moment. It comes in our lives as we come in faith to Christ. And he, he changes us and makes us His children, adopts us, and gives us new spiritual life. And it will come again when we are resurrected, when we receive new bodies, and there is no more sorrow. That's actually what we're going to sing about this morning on the back, this song 10,000 times 10,000. It's a song that looks forward to that great day. Um, You know, I was out running and thinking about this sermon yesterday and just felt compelled to do something a little different this morning. I I don't know if this this idea struck me of Jesus' compassion for those that are in deep sorrow, in deep need. And, you know, we come in here every Sunday, and I don't really know what's going on, and I don't know that I can enter in fully like Jesus can into your sorrow, into your pain. And yet, I think that's part of what the body of Christ is, isn't it? That that we support one another, we love one another, and I think one of the greatest ways that we do that is by praying for one another. And so this is the first time, I, just if this is your first time here, we never do like invitations or anything. I've never done this in my whole life. I grew up in a church that did it every Sunday and so now, <laughs> but I just want to invite you that as we sing this song, we're not going to do our moment of silence, but as we sing this song, if you just want someone to pray with you, uh, about some, something deep, some need, you just feel like I need to know the compassion and the love of Christ in this situation and the way that I want to feel that is by having someone pray for me then I want to invite you to do that. Joel and I, are I'm going to go back in the back, and Joel is here to pray. And if it's not Joel or me that you you think this person knows what I'm going through and I want them to pray for me, I just want you to go to them while we're singing this song and say, pray for me about this. Does that? I just want to invite us to do that because I think that's what this is about as the body of Christ, is that we are to love one another and, and to show the compassion of Christ in this way. If that's not where you're at, then I would invite you just to sing the song and to look forward to that day when death is no more. There's this song in here, it says, Then eyes with joy shall sparkle, that brimmed with tears of late, orphans no longer fatherless, nor widows desolate. What a wonderful truth. So let's stand together as uh, the guys come to lead us in this song. And if you want to pray with someone, then Joel and I will be at the back, or someone else that you feel led to, to go to, then I'd encourage you to do it.